2: Good morning and welcome in Rob Black and your money. Talking investing, talking doleros, talking much, much, much more. It's a holiday shortened week where, quite honestly, I don't know why I'm here. Um, because I don't know if you're there, and it kind of makes sense as many of us do head off a little bit early. What do I want the point of this all to be today? Is hey, let's try to have an interesting day and see if we can't come up with some new concepts as far as, not money goes, but uh, something that makes sense for us. to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Today's a good day to do it, Uh, in large part because there's not a lot going on. So, don't be shy today. Um, Hmm, what do I want to throw out there for you. You work from age 20 to 60, and you need to save as much money as you can and not live in denial, and that can be very, very frustrating, I understand, Um, in large part because you want. I mean, in my own life, I can tell you countless examples of, I wish I didn't spend all that money. And... Sometimes it's on things that are just downright silly. Holiday season tends to be an area where we make a lot of mistakes. And when I say mistakes, I'm saying we succumb to, you know, gluttony on food. Uh, We succumb to, you know, issues where we feel like, you know, my mom wants me to come home. When really you shouldn't be flying home. You should be saving money. If you're not saving at least 15% of your salary every year, and you're spending money on holiday gifts and flying back to see family, maybe it's time to start your own holiday tradition with loved ones in the local area, per se. We are in a very good year on Wall Street, and it's pretty abnormal historically. Our economy is... it's. Less than okay, but it's not horrible. And that's worthy of note. I refer to it as, you know, it's kind of blah. It's abnormal, and we're relying on central banks for growth. Dictionaries define growth or normal as regular, usual, healthy, natural, orderly, rational, so we're not normal. Um, we're below average economic growth, and our stock markets at all-time highs. Where do you think our stock market would be if we were rocking and rolling in economic growth? Crazy all-time highs is the answer. So we got that near-zero interest rates, quantitative easing for six years. Um, it's something that defies explanation, if you were to sit down with the child and say, like, you know, hey, the stock market's hitting all time highs, and, you know, we're doing everything we can to keep our economy moving, you'd be like, wait, wait, those two don't add up. So it's something that we're going to deal with. I think it will be interesting as we move, and right now, there's some countries that are better than us, but for the size of our economy, we're the, the best thing out there going. Size matters in this conversation, you could say, hey, but there's this really teeny tiny little African nation that's grown their GDP twice as much, yeah, and you could say, hey, China's grown their economy so fast, but that's so much government induced. So we're the kind of like the, in world economies, we're the best house on the cheapest street. You know, it's not the best thing to be, but it's also not the worst to be. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, <clears throat> Google's facing a breakup call. And a friend of mine sent me an email last week, and he's like, I'm thinking about selling some Apple, thinking about buying some energy. And I'm like, okay, fine. Nothing wrong with taking a profit. It could go higher for sure. But buying energy right now is saying that you, in the short term, because, again, we start this conversation, we only work from age 20 to 60, is that you think, and he's 45, he thinks 45 to 46, oil is going to be a play. Um, and it could be a sideways play until we find a reason to see some economic growth from other economies that, like, really sustains demand. You know, when you're cutting interest rates and the economy is slowing in, like in Europe, you're depreciating, you're deflating, oil could go lower or sideways. So I said to him, why don't you consider something like Google? They've got this, you know, there's, open up the newspaper and you're seeing the European Union wants to break them up. And legislation for splitting up Google could send a message that's pretty loud and clear. This is an escalation. Google already grappling with privacy and competition issues risks a EU headache. as Some lawmakers seek to follow a successful attack on bankers' bonuses from previous years with measures to break up the search giant. So there's some question about whether breaking up Google would actually happen. However, it, you know, ultimately this argument indicates the depth and intensity of the critical antagonism and challenge that Google confronts. You know, local search companies want this to happen for sure. Attacking Google may be a little bit more difficult than going after executives on bonuses. Google has more than 90% of the search market in most European countries. It's being targeted by a group of parliamentarians who say the commission should consider legislation if it can't wrap up a lengthy antitrust probe into the company. Unbundling sanctions from other commercial services should be considered. Um, it's kind of, one thing that works well with getting votes and getting people happy is to go after the populists. So, antitrust populism is at its highest right now. Um, oh, the banks ruined Wall Street. Oh, the banks are hurting the economy. Oh, the banks made a lot of money when people were losing money. Oh, the banks, and you go after them. Everyone agrees. Those dirty, evil banks that lend money to small businesses, that lend money so I can buy a car, those dirty, evil banks need to be punished.
3: It's 130% true.
2: And it's not 130% true. It's, It's one of the biggest flaws out there. Banks should take on their own risks and not be told what to do by the government. And then if they fail, they fail. Can banks get too big? You bet. That's a different question. They're not evil. Anyway, 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about money invested in more. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back.
1: I wish you kiss you. With the birds, I'll share, with the birds I share. When it comes to
2: 401Ks, you should max them out. I could say 401K, 403B, 457. One of the most daunting decisions faced by workers out there is how to allocate 401K dollars. The simplest choice could be a target fund, and I've heard some people on the radio and television bash them. People on radio and television are trying to typically get clients, and they're paying to be on air. I'm not. Um... A 401K, if you want to put it into a target plan, it's fine. I would say don't do it the traditional way. Do it more aggressively, especially when you're younger. So a target fund will take this year, 2015 roughly. Let's say you're going to reach You're 30, so you're going to retire in 30 years. So you pick a 2045 fund. I'd prefer that you pick a 2050, 2055, just to get a little bit more growth exposure. As you get older... The plan becomes a little bit safer and automatically starts throwing more into bonds. It's fine. It's not the greatest way to accumulate wealth, but it's an okay way. The toughest part about accumulating wealth is putting money aside and picking low-cost investment strategies. Then diversification comes in, and that's the genius of this 401k idea. Let's talk a little real estate. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's my personal lender. You've heard him on the show numerous times. I actually hang out with a guy on occasion on weekends and uh, just relax a little bit. So he's a lender. He's a guy who gets you your mortgage. He's the guy who tells you what you qualify for, what you're pre-qualified for. One of the more interesting angles that I hear him get frustrated over is when someone wants to put 20% down, and the appraiser goes out, and it's not quite 20%. It's too high of a number or too low yep. of a number. Um, and suddenly you have to come up with more money. Talk a little bit about how this happens, and I guess recapitulate what I just said.
3: I mean, quite simply, we're in a seller's market, and there's not enough sales right now. We know inventory is low, and sales volume is low. So what happens is the... Your purchase price is going to get kicked up. You're and then when your appraisal comes in, it's going to be you know a certain percentage below that amount. So if you have certain uh, down payments, let's say twenty percent, and the reason we want twenty percent, of course, is to avoid a loan that has mortgage insurance and to get better rates, is now your loan is uh, as a nineteen uh, percent or eighteen percent down payment. Okay, so you're going to get mortgage insurance, or you're going to have an FHA loan with higher mortgage insurance. So there are some tools that people can use to keep the same down payment, but avoid mortgage insurance, and that's to get um, a second loan. It, it always works out, and you don't have to get a big second loan. It can be as small as like $7,500, um, and it can put you over that 80%. You you have, a, you know, the interest rate's a little bit higher. Yes, it's adjustable, but But you can focus on paying that off a little early, leave yourself a nice little equity line you can use down the road, but it avoids that mortgage insurance, and there's always a lower payment when you get that scenario. So when it does come back, um, do people panic? When what comes back? The appraisal. Um, Well, you know, it's something that we've we've definitely been focusing on preparing people for. So we run the scenarios in advance. Now, that doesn't mean that your lender is going to do that in advance. They may just say, Oh, well, we got to make sure that you have 20% down. And they don't, and they might see some reserves, or they look at your 401k or IRA and say, oh, we have some reserves there that we can use. And they don't think it through that maybe they don't want to use a 401k or yeah. their IRA, and they don't prepare people for it. And I think that's where a, where a lot of people that are going into offers um, and, and the they're not prepared. They're not talking to the realtor, and, and not only that, the realtor's not asking, "Hey, you got twenty percent down. Are you prepared to offer another forty thousand over appraised value, or whatever it is? Um, and what are your contingency plan? Contingency plans. How
2: does the appraisal process work now? What is it like a two day thing?
3: Um, you know, you, you start the loan process. You submit a loan. You you contact the appraiser. They they call you your agent. They enter the house. They um, Take pictures, they measure the house, make sure. You know, the the appraisal process is a a lot more detailed than it used to be. Uh, And and they have an appraisal management company that that appraiser works for that's going to do a quality check, and the lender's going to do a quality check. And as a matter of fact, I just talked to a client not too long ago who came to my office and said, You know what? We try to refinance the lender. Uh, We got an appraisal, it worked out fine, but the lender did what, you know, a BP, a broker price opinion, and and they disagreed with the appraiser and knocked, or the appraisal amount and they knocked it down 20 grand, which disqualified them. So there's a lot of quality control that goes into it now. But um, So just because you get an appraisal, and this is something that the California Association of Realtors needs to change on their contract, is that an appraisal contingency isn't just value. Yeah, okay, you can put an appraisal contingency in there and it comes in at value, great. It, the appraisal still has to pass the lender. So, for example, if the property comes in in fair value or there's an unpermitted addition or uh, there's Section 1 items, uh, termite damage, or anything like that that needs to be repaired. So there there are some corrections that need to be made, and I hope at some point they do make these corrections because it's kind of confusing. It's, It's too simple. And a real estate transaction, we want it to be simple, but there's a lot of things that still need to protect the buyer. And if you remove an appraisal contingency and you don't have a loan contingency, uh, you could be stuck with a with a house and coming up with extra money, having to borrow from your parents or whatever. Tap your four hundred and one k if you and you really didn't need to.
2: It makes a painstakingly frustrating process even more frustrating when yeah. that happens.
3: Yep. Yeah. I'm speaking with Tony Mendez, Bay
2: Area dot com. That's Bay Area dot com. So the average cost of feeding ten people on Thanksgiving. I'm talking a little turkey with you is not that much. Thanksgiving dinner went up less than 1% from last year by $0.37 to $49.41. Still slightly less than prices paid in 2012. Ultimately, a drop in retail gas prices are helping consumers. It's cheaper to get to Grandma's house, per se. Uh, Food consumption patterns change. High in protein, low in fat has helped Turkey become the new black for U.S. diets. Uh, low oil prices, um, helping the turkey world as well. Um, and I throw that out there in large part because you have to feed these animals, you have to deliver these animals. A big trend, you know, playing into turkeys this year is apps. And again, Facebook and Twitter and Twitter, mobile apps, all are playing into the way we consume information, for sure. The old-fashioned method of calling someone on the telephone seems pretty silly, but there's a company called Butterball, which has a turkey talk line, um, and there's 50 turkey experts on hand to answer thousands of printed calls for Butterball, but millennials don't want that. Millennials want to go online or use, use an app. So, Butterball actually has a turkey app. I was freaked out because my father was the kind of guy who always carved the turkey. I was never the guy who watched. And then you join a family and, like, you have to be the guy who carves? Holy mackerel. I'm glad there was uh, YouTube for that, right? Carving ain't, ain't exactly obvious when you see a big bird in front of you. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. I'm not a hipster. Take a break here. Be right back. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Amazon.com is developing a ad-supported video network, and the service would be cheaper than Netflix. Amazon's reportedly planning to do an ad-supported media streaming service for music and videos. Um, this is according to the New York Post. The service would exist in addition to its $99 premium Prime membership subscription, which includes free two-day shipping. Um, An ad-supported video network. Okay. So, interesting. Amazon does not give up easily, even, like, when they have their phone that was just a, a, a disaster in sales. They tried, and they did a couple things right with it, and they'll try again. They have a CEO who doesn't care about making money, and that's always kind of interesting. Here comes the Santa Claus rally, in the 20 times when the S&P has enjoyed moderate gains between 0 and 15%, like this year, the S&P has added to those gains 18 out of 20 times between now and Christmas. I love Santa. Santa! I want to say the word Santa Santa as many times as I can, because oddly, whenever I say the jolly old fat man... I think that was a little missed shot, but that's okay. Uh, We get to hear an elf screaming Santa. So here's to a Santa Claus rally. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton, talking a little Roth conversions. This is getting more and more media press. This is getting more and more talk in the financial planning community. What is a Roth conversion? Why do we want to think about it and consider it?
4: Well, let me tell you the, the part where you really need to consider it the most and then a couple of other circumstances. The the biggest point in time in your life where you really need to look at the Roth conversion is between retirement date and that age 70 and a half. Because what most people are finally realizing is that at 70 and a half, you're forced to pull money out of your IRAs, 401Ks, 403Ps, 403Bs, even if you don't want to, you're forced to pull money out. And so people have a very low tax bracket, let's say they retire at 65 to 70, and then all of a sudden their tax bracket blows up and they have no control over it. And so one of the things that you, those that retire with diversified asset bases, in other words, they have cash, they have uh, taxable accounts, brokerage funds, brokerage accounts with stocks and funds and ETFs and pre-tax retirement accounts, is what you can do is maximize your existing brackets by doing small Roth conversions to maximize your tax bracket each year. So in other words, there's a huge limit at the at the 15% to 20% to, or 25% bracket where if you're a person, you always know you're going to be at the 25% marginal bracket and you talk to your CPA in November and you say, how much more income can I have at this bracket? And they say, well, you could have another $30,000 and you'd still be at the 25% marginal bracket. Well, that person, if they're always going to be at that bracket, should consider converting 30000 of their IRA into a Roth IRA so that they start that clock on the, on having a tax-free account. And even if you do a small amount, you put it into account, that five-year time clock starts at the first conversion. If you're over 59 and a half, it's just that, that that clock starts ticking on the first conversion. You don't have to redo it on the last conversion. So really maximizing your bracket, creating that tax-free account, it does two things. It gives you a tax-free account for the rest of your life. It gives you an account that you can leave to your kids that they can continue tax-free growth for, growth for the rest of their lives. And it reduces the amount of forced taxable income you have at age 70 and a half. The key, though, is, is that when you do these Roth conversions, you have to have cash on the sidelines to pay the taxes. You can't pay the taxes out of the account that you convert. Okay. You want to make even more... Complicated by telling you a cool rule.
2: Oh, God. See, I was going to ask you to make things simpler. Because what you just said, I think most people are intimidated by. Comparing tax brackets and doing this and doing that. It's pretty intimidating what you just threw out.
4: You know, retirement is intimidating. Retirement takes some education, it takes some work, and it takes some planning. You can't just pull the trigger and just do it. Um, You know, you give examples of Social Security by maximizing that by doing the file and suspend options where you can get a couple hundred thousand dollars out of Social Security that you didn't think you could get. Same thing with tax brackets. You have to know what a marginal bracket is and be able to have an accountant or CPA that does modeling for you or works with your financial advisor to do it. Um, The great thing about a Roth conversion is you have until October 15th of next year to change your mind. So, let's say you decide, I'm going to convert. $50,000 $50,000 of my IRA to a Roth, right? You paid the taxes based on $50,000. The next year you have 2009, right? 2008-2009 type of a year. And you go, "Oh great, my account's worth 30, but I paid taxes at 50," right? You can by October 15th of the next year recharacterize, change your mind and reverse the deal and then go back and do it again at a much lower tax consequence. So, you knowing the rules and knowing that once you do it, you still have to monitor the success of the account. Uh, it's pretty important. It's a good part of a retirement planning people should think about. So what's the first step in that? The first step is saying, okay, am I somebody that should consider it? And that is that do you have cash on the sidelines? Okay. So if you don't have any cash to pay the taxes with, right. it's not for you. Okay. Um, second, do you have a long-term cash flow projection that includes tax projections? Because that's the only way that you have the ability to look at it and say, what's my tax bracket going to be like now versus age 70 and a half when I have to start pulling money out of my IRAs? Um, you know, If you're always going to be at a very low bracket, then it might not be for you either. But if you have an IRA that you probably won't use and you want to leave it to your grandkids, that's really for you because then you're leaving them a tax-free account.
2: So if you have a 401k right now with $100,000 in it and you're 35 years old and you have an extra $30,000 laying around, that's going to basically cover most of your taxes.
4: You can't. There, you are starting to see plans that will allow in-plan 401k conversions to the in-plan Roth account. Okay. I never recommend those. Why? Because in that situation, you can't change your mind by October 15th.
2: But would you be sure you want to do it?
4: it I still don't recommend it. Um, now, start funding the Roth 401k side, maybe, if you're at a low bracket. But yeah. 30000 that's not much on the sidelines. You need six months' worth of expenses and sa- safe money. And you need to start building outside retirement account assets by investing in total stock market funds and things like that. So I would say for most of the time when people are in a basic situation where they're still working and earning a lot, I don't often recommend Roth conversions. Okay. It's those situations where that between retirement and 70 and a half that works. Somebody goes on sabbatical or takes some time off and they're at an unusually low tax bracket for a year or two, that works. Or a grandma doesn't use her IRA. She wants it to leave it to her grandkids. That works.
2: Thanks very much. That's CFP Chad Burton. If you want to explore this with him, contact him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. And you can listen to his shows heard here daily from 1 to 2 p.m. on KDOW, the new focus on wealth. I'm Rob Black, and that's Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. Amgen said something kind of interesting today. Eh, I'm not going to say it's interesting. It's, it's almost sad. They ended a trial of a stomach cancer therapy. They ended clinical studies based on safety issues. Now, Amgen's a biopharmaceutical company, and they said data monitoring committee found an increase in the number of deaths in patients using a combination of the experimental drug and chemotherapy compared with the arm that of people that received just the chemotherapy. So the drug didn't help. In fact, it probably hurt. Um, I bring it up not to focus completely on Amgen, but to say investing in biotech companies and pharmaceutical companies can be a pain in the butt at times. In Amgen's case, they don't have everything running on this stomach cancer trial. They've got enough product, and enough diversification that this is going to hit them for sure, but it isn't going to crush them. Now I think if it's a smaller company or a mid-sized company, this would have been a fatal blow to the company. They'd spent years and years and years developing research, fine-tuning, you know, formulations, and then out of nowhere, it just, it doesn't work, right? Not out of nowhere, but you get through phase one trials, phase two trials, phase three trials. Again, I'm not saying Amgen should go lower, because they're a really well-diversified company. This would have been another feather in their hat. This would not have been their entire Thanksgiving meal. For a smaller company, it would have been monumentally bad news. And that's kind of the way you need to, like, understand, like, I love the story of, like, let's cure cancer. Let's do it. Let's fix erectile dysfunction. Let's do it. Let's grow hair on the back, on the top of men's head. Let's let's do it. But if you're going to invest in that, know that none of those problems are are automatically going to happen. As I get older, um, I've been pretty athletic my whole life. My bones get a little bit more achy. There was a couple years ago where uh, Merck and Pfizer both came out with what are called COX two inhibitors, and these were you know super aspirin essentially and they weren't as clean and as effective the efficacy wasn't as as high as thought and they ended up hurting some people so they had to you know be changed on how they were labeled and pulled from the market changed on their label you know tinker 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 um, so i get the you know let's solve pro- big problems i get it amgen is one of the biggest biotech companies out there and yes you know coming up with a cure for stomach cancer is great They didn't hit it this time, but they still have things tied towards kidney ailments, cancer uh, treatments, inflammatory disorders, metabolic uh, diseases, protein-based therapeutic proteins. They're fighting anemia and chronic uh, kidney disease. they got Enbrel for rheumatoid arthritis. They're in 75 countries. You get the idea. Diversification helps, especially if you're betting on a cure for cancer. You can strike out, hit a home run, or you can play the game with the bigger boys. Talk about
1: Black. <laughs> We're well, home in New York with champagne and disco. Take some mayonnaise slash San Francisco. But actually, Oakland and Alameda. Your girl was in Berkeley with a communist leader. Mine was in Turner.
2: I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for supporting the show. Tell friends about it. Eh, Maybe not. (laughs) It's not like... Hey, there's a really cool financial show you should listen to. It's kind of hip and kind of trendy. Russia is losing $140 billion a year. He said that, and, like, that's trending, hip, and kind of cool. Okay, so it's probably not. Uh, How about this, though, as as far as cool and trending, and hip, and everything else? An Israeli company says that it's developed technology that can charge a mobile phone in just a few seconds, and an electric car in minutes. Woohoo! Um, we'll have to wait for it. Prototype is far too bulky for a mobile phone, but it thinks it could have uh, it ready by 2016. It says it's developed a battery that can store a much higher charge uh, much quicker, in effect, acting like a super dense sponge to soak up power and retain it. Okay, cool. Right? That's kind of what we're looking for on this show. Things that we can invest in simple things that we can learn how to invest better Um, and it's a classic example here's one that I'll throw out there Anheuser-Busch a company that's publicly traded you know it I know it it's got a great ticker symbol bud it's got this catchy jingle that we've known for years it's also owned by InBev. You could say beer in many, many languages because there's 140 breweries across 60 geographic regions. It's best-selling beers, Budweiser, Stellartois, Artois, and Becks. It's also got Leffe, Mo- uh, Michelob, Skoll, Brahma, Grupo Modelo, Modelo, Modelo Especial, Modelo Negro, Pacifico. It's a pretty big company, right? When you take a look at the all-time chart of the company, it's pretty impressive. Sitting at near a 52-week high right now. Let's talk about the future. Would you invest in it today? With all of the wonderful beers on tap out there, you know, whether it be something like Lagunitas Fusion 22 or Natty Green's Buckshot, people under the age of 40... They don't want a Budweiser. They want a craft beer now. A recent poll said 44% of people under the age of 28 have never tried Budweiser. I make a joke, and I laughingly joke about it, that I wouldn't wash my car with Coors beer. Or maybe I. I the only time I ever use Coors is to wash my car, right? It's just watery beer to me. It's horrible. So, young drinkers aren't the reason Budweiser volumes have declined in the United States for the last 25 years, from its nearly 50 million barrel peak in 1988 to 16 million bears last year. They've gone from 50 million barrels in a year down to 16 million in 26 years, 25 years. Light beer, like its sister, Bud Light, have chipped away at Bud's share of the market for decades. Bud Light overtook it as number one selling beer in 2001. Coors Light displaced it as number two in 2011. Craft beers and flavored malts like InBev's Limeritas have contributed 9% decline in shipments since then. So craft beers you would think is the culprit, but it's really not. It's The brand is lost interest with people. Companies decided that persuading 21 to 27-year-olds to grab a Bud is the best chance to try to stop a free fall. So they're changing their business model. Boom! Just like that. It will not trot out the traditional Budweiser Clydesdales for the holiday periods this year. The Super Bowl ads will feature something more current than last year's Fleetwood Mac, which it's fair to say Fleetwood Mac is a bunch of aging rockers.
1: But they're so awesome, man!
2: I saw them back in the 60s. I okay, whatever. They probably weren't even around in the 60s, for all I know. It just got me a chance to pull out my my little bit Carlin-esque impression, Carlin with a hippie mixed in. So they're killing the the Anheuser horses, the Clydesdales. And like every Super Bowl, you're like, oh, look at the dog with the, the Clydesdales, or oh, look at the small Clydesdale who wants to grow up to be a big Clydesdale. But you're not drinking their beer. You're just l- enjoying their commercial. So they've got to go after 20-somethings, and they've got to go after them pretty hard. For 20-somethings, craft beer makes up 15% of out-of-home purchases, compared with about 10% for older generations. But it's growing by 2 percentage points a year. If you can invest in a craft brewery, if the guys from Lagunitas or Russian River were to say, hey, we're looking for some cash, I'd throw it down. Not sight unseen, but you get the idea. It's the battle of the brew. Budweiser marketing is going to become distinctly un-Bud-like. So Budweiser gets just a massive push from sponsoring. They're kind of like the Nike of beer. So they sponsor sports like Major League Baseball, NASCAR, they plan to sponsor some food festivals, because 50% of 21 to 20 something year old re- identify themselves as foodies. Now, obviously, they're going to try to get into college towns as much as possible, and they're going to use people like Jay-Z to promote. It's going to try to elbow Budweiser back into bars. If you go into a bar today, it's tough to find Bud on tap. Bud has gone from being one of four beers on draft a decade ago to one of ten options today. I would not. eh, I'm not going to say I wouldn't want to be a Budweiser distributor because that's unfair, and it's also not true because, again, like I told you at the beginning, is they they have the power to buy a lot of their competition. They just have to get it right. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, trends. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Oh, you had to pull in. You had to bring in the old grungy hippies. Okay, Lindsey Buckingham does have a voice on him. I'm Rob Black.
5: This station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network.
2: I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Some top headlines out there today. Google facing a breakup call as the European Union political patient wanes. Um, Another one that I'm starting to see out there a little bit more is, uh, you know, about peer-to-peer lending, right? There's a company called Lending Club, and they're going to come public. It runs an online platform that links up borrowers with investors who want to fund them. They may kick off their IPO as, as soon as next week. Now, I could do that story, or I could do cancel Thanksgiving, the most important day of the year for the price of oil is going to happen on Thursday. In large part, most people who are bullish on oil, who want it to go higher, they want to see OPEC get together on Thursday. It's 12 countries. I know maybe eight of them, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Venezuela. Cater, Libya, United Arab Emirates, Algeria, Nigeria, Ecuador, and Angola. Um, that's 12 of them, so I actually know all 12. Uh, but they're having a big meeting, and a lot of people think if there's not a massive cut in production, the price of oil goes down to 60. I had a friend who reached out last week to me uh, and said, hey, I'm looking to buy, you know, switch out of Apple and oil. And I was like, well, you at least want to wait until Thursday. Because if there's not a massive supply cut, you're going to see the price of oil go lower. Because we know the demand's not there. You with me? Um, other stories out there. Barron's did a piece on Intel today. And they said, inside of the article, Intel has 30% upside. As elevated capital spending reverts to ordinary levels, the results should be slowing free cash flow and more dividend increases, like the one announced on Thursday. So the author of the article says, I see Intel at $48 over the next two years. Pretty smart. Barron's is a really smart publication. Um, CBS Market Watch, not so smart. Tesla and BMW are talking car batteries and parts. Tesla's Motors is in talks with Germany's BMW over possible collaboration in batteries and lightweight components. In an interview published on Sunday, Elon Musk described BMW's production of carbon fiber-reinforced car body parts as interesting and relatively cost-efficient. BMW uses carbon fibers from a joint venture with material supplier SGL to make reinforced passenger cell parts for its i3 electric hatchback. Good. Facebook is emerging as a huge engine for driving e-commerce, traffic, and purchases.
1: Ugh...
2: For better, for worse, Facebook, sometimes you'll say things like, if you can't beat them, join them, and I think that stock goes higher, in large part because of how many people are addicted to it. And it's got a stickiness to it. You don't want to leave it once you've got photos in it. Um, in a new report from analysts, they're breaking down social media, impact and retail sales throughout the purchase process, whether a social media user clicks directly on a retailer's Facebook ad to make a purchase, or it sees a pin on Pinterest, and ends up buying it in a store later. They're seeing more and more conversion rates. Elsewhere out there, uh, AT&T and Verizon both kind of got a little dinged today. There's some FCC, the Federal Communication uh, Commission, you know, they're basically out there auctioning off some spectrum, broadband spectrum. Companies have bid more than $34 billion as of last Friday for six blocks of airwaves. This is a very good data airwave, not necessarily a very good voice airwave. Prices are likely to rise further because the auction has no definite end and could continue for days or weeks. The previous record was about $18.9 billion, So Verizon and AT&T are getting downgraded because if they're going to get part of the spectrum, they're going to pay record levels, and they're going to have to raise money. So there you go. Marijuana. Merry Christmas, marijuana. Um, Interesting article today coming out of the Associated Press. And the recreational pot industry is courting holiday shoppers. (laughs) Like, can you make this up? No. It's not mistletoe from new marijuana strains for the holidays to gift sets and pot and pumpkin pies. The burgeoning marijuana industry in Colorado is scrambling to get a piece of the holiday shopping dollar. Isn't that great? Stories like this of guy like my dad, he's passed away for 20 plus years. He was absolutely no drugs kind of guy. Uh, rolling around in his grave at this point in time. The grass station in Denver is selling an ounce of marijuana for 50 bucks. About a fifth of the cost of next cheapest strain at the Colorado dispensary. To the first 16 comp- customers in line on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So in order to cash in on the whole Black Friday shopping weekend thing, they've got a massive discount. Black Friday, like, isn't that funny? It's just, I don't know, I guess the ramification to me is humorous. Nike's launched a direct threat to Lululemon. Nike's trying to win over women with a store designed just for them. It's pretty cool. I got to see a virtual tour of it in Newport Beach, California. It's got all the trappings of a Lululemon store, including a fitness studio, footwear, trials, bra-finting, pant-hemming services. It's a 6,000-square-foot store. Nike is dominant. I think they'll do well with this. Their women's business has never been stronger, and this new store is the ultimate expression of their commitment to women who run, train, or just overall get fit, which, for the record, I've decided that I will know that I've given up on life when I start wearing a sweatsuit. I get out of bed and I wear a sweatsuit for like daily clothes. That's like when you know you've given up. Just put, a, put a, a fork in you. You're done. I know no foreign language other than a little bit of pig Latin. There's a highly advanced piece of malware out there, perhaps the most sophisticated of its kind. Semantic uncovered it. And it's going after government organizations. The most likely culprit behind it is some sort of nation state. The amount of work and advanced technology put into the software, known as Regan, R-E-G-I-N, means it was likely one of the main cyber espionage tools used by that unknown country. On infected computers, the software can take control of a computer's mouse, take screenshots, steal passwords, and recover deleted files. Um, so again, security is going to be a theme for a long time, whether it's on the personal level, business level, or government level. The new postmaster general of the post office said that they want to make it more like a private sector business. They have to develop services and products. What they have to do is get the wait time from 30 minutes down to three minutes. And they've got to figure that out. The people at every post office that I've ever been to seem to work in slow motion. I don't know why. It's surreal, but it, I'm saying that, and I know there's some real hard-working people, and I'm, I'm throwing them, you know, all under the bus. Uh, But I don't get it. Amazon's working on an ad-supported media streaming service for music and videos. Interesting idea. Mm, European Union wants to break up Google. Mm, Okay. Butterball's got an app out for cooking turkeys this year. Carving turkeys. Talking turkey. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. One person actually wanted to ask, "Can you thaw out your, a turkey in the rinse cycle of their washing machine?" I love people. Let's take a break. Drop me an email, Robert. Rob Black Show. Find me on YouTube, Rob Black Show. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show.
3: Take a break. Be right back. <laughs>
1: Baby, check it the stuff Figure it out Let's get back to well crack
2: myself up sometimes. You know, I did a story on marijuana becoming a big push into Black Friday in the states that have recently legalized marijuana. You can go into someone's house and go, hey, that's not mistletoe. Big sprig of marijuana hanging above someone's doorway. What do you do under that big clump of Arab? Uh, Um, With that said, I will try to sober up a little bit and not make myself laugh because it ain't funny. Let's uh, talk a little financial planning. Joining me now, CFP, Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton? Great. So you recently bought a house. What was that process like? Um, Well, so it's kind of a two-step process. I'm looking for like credit stories, down payment, realtors, those kind of things.
4: Well, yeah. I mean, I had an excellent realtor. And my story on that one was that we were involved in a actually a two-piece property, like 4.25 acres. Subject, It was already in two tax lots. And we're trying to go through all this feasibility study because one side we were going to develop. And, and it's a lot of work. When you're trying to deal with property, Yep, a lot of people think, oh, land always goes up, always goes up. Well, depending on where you are, you got to do wetland study, you got to do feasibility, and it usually costs somewhere between in the northwest where this piece was thirty-five thousand to ninety-five thousand per lot to develop. Okay. So to pencil that out with all the carrying costs and everything else, it's it's a chore and it's it's a process. And we were dealing with a seller that was kind of a old farmer boy, the weird side of libertarian. You know what I'm talking about? Like nobody from the county or the government can be on my property. Nice. Um, so it got to the point where he wouldn't let the, he he listens to Glenn Black. I don't even know if he, I think he's probably, Glenn Black's probably too much of a sissy for this guy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably too much of a sissy for this guy, but go ahead. Oh man, it was, it was frustrating. Um, so I ended up dropping the deal just because it was like, uh, just too much. And it, it got to the point, is this guy an idiot? Is he an ignorant moron or is he hiding something? Okay. And when things don't feel right and you feel pressured to close or make any financial decision, you know, by a certain time frame or you're going to lose the deal, walk away. If anybody ever comes to you and offers you an investment that, you know, this is a great deal, but you have to do this today because it's not going to offer you. It's going to be gone. Which in the Bay Area is the exact opposite. If you can get that deal before anyone else can get that deal, you can do it now. You do. No it. Doubt. Yeah, the the way that the does selling market Does it is, have have
2: yeah. uh cancer in it. We we don't care. We we'll take it. <laughs> kind of thing. I'll lick the paint and it's like, okay. Good you know, me. But yeah. back to you.
4: Yeah, and it's anyways, long story short, turned out um found a much better spot as soon as we walked away from the deal, two days later and you know, happy with that that process. Um so anyways, yeah, it's it's. I did find a for sale by owner house, so I had a real estate agent that I was working with that was really, really good. Really did a ton of work. And so the for sale by owner property, I you know, first thing I did was negotiate. Hey, I've been working with this person. You know, you need to bring her in courtesy to broker, get her a fee. You know, I would say that when you're buying a house and trying to find the right house, working with a real estate agent is, is kind of key. If you're selling a house in a hot market, you know, sometimes you can do for sale by owner. Use an attorney, though, to do some of the paperwork, to deal with some of the um, issues. This, this, this real estate agent did uh, above and beyond when it came to the first deal that we were looking at. Yeah. So she, you know, in terms of deadlines for feasibility, for financing, for all this other stuff, I mean, she was on top of it. So she earned her money for sure. From the for sale by owner side, how comfortable are you with that? Well, I've done two homes for sale by owner okay. in hot markets. Um, and they worked out well, but I always had an attorney, so I still, you know, paid a couple thousand bucks in attorney's fees, but in that hot market where you knew what you could, you know, there's certain markets where, you know, here's, I'm going to put it at the top line price and here's what I'm willing to take for it. Right. Um, and there's already a ton of traffic in the area. People are already looking. Um, uh, if you're in a tougher market, real estate agents typically will make their money in my opinion, because you know, they've, they know how to market it. They I know like, how to set it up in price. They know how to, you, you know, know, what learn about real estate agents. It's that they know other
2: real estate agents who have buyers, right? So like you, when I was looking for a home, I would look for a home for nine months. And my realtor got clued in on a house that was getting ready to be shown. She contacted me. She said, get your offer ready. Let's do it. We did it before it even showed. Yeah. You know, that was the goal of get it done before it even shows. That doesn't always happen. But that's what realtors know. Other realtors who have buyers and realtors who are selling know other realtors who are selling. selling. It's an interesting little incestuous community, and when I say incestuous, I don't mean it bad. Yeah, I mean they all know each other.
4: They do. I mean, it's a, I mean they they all do well. The good at networking. ones. Do. The good ones know how to network. So, it, it, wh- where I messed up at one point was walking into a place where um, I went and asked to see the house myself. So I'm talking to the the listing agent, and then I brought my my agent in later, and that gets a little contentious on the commission on you know whose client this really is. Right. So if you're going to work with an agent, always call the agent to go see the house. Don't call the number on the house. Good stuff. That's CFP Chad Burton. That's CFP Chad
2: Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Cheap oil, and we're going to find out more about oil on Thursday, maybe a sign of bigger problems. There's no instant replay when it comes to investing, so be patient and know that cheap oil, good for things like Walmart and Target. not so good for other issues. It's telling you that there's some demand issues out there. Looking at oil dispassionately, you you have to admit for all intents and purposes, oil's been down seven straight weeks, essentially. It's not a glass half full feeling to me. It's a glass half empty. Half empty of oil. I drink oil down my belly, belly, belly. Okay, maybe not. Oh, yeah, that was scotched down my belly, belly, belly. Um, So, yeah, we saw this in the past before with cheaper oil um, and commodity price weakness. Huge, big time in 1997, 1998 in what was called the Asian crisis. Some people came up with a cute name, the Asian flu. Anyhow, um, this is Chinese oriented and not to me in any way, shape, or form tied to the U.S. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. The show, I think better than most shows, um, tries to get you involved, tries to get you thinking about issues. Uh, Hopefully, there's some truth there. 800 516 1220 to get your calls in the air. Don't be shy today. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show, or drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money invested in more. I do appreciate the effort it takes. The Hunger Games Mocking Jay Part 1 had a bad opening, all things considered. It was the best opening for the year $123 million, but it didn't do quite as well. Estimates were calling for $150 million. I know. Big problem, huh? Um, Hunger Games catching fire, 158 million, so it underperformed the last one. Um, And the original Hunger Games pulled in 152 million. So, a little disappointment. What's why? Big Hero 6 is doing really well. Um, Then there's competition with things like Interstellar. And it also just got downright bad reviews. If you start thinking of movies as products, you'll start understanding companies like Disney, but you'll also start understanding companies like Intel, where Mockingjay costs $78 million. No, um, Mockingjay costs, we don't know how much it costs to make. Um, but most of these films are about $120, 130000000 at this point in time, and how much rate of return will they get, and the Lionsgate's involved, and issues along those lines. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Let's talk a little bit of real estate. Joining me now, mortgage lender, Tony Mendez, bayarealonesource.com. It's bayarealonesource.com. One of the standards or one of the rules, I guess, tied towards getting a mortgage now, is you have to be a, qual- for it to be qualified, it can't be more than 43% of your debt-to-income ratio. Your right. debt-to-income ratio can't be greater than 43%. What's that mean?
3: So in January 10, 2014, the part of the Dodd-Frank imp- imp- implementation was something called qualified mortgages. Basically, lenders uh, will get federal uh, legal protection against lawsuits if they follow the qualified mortgage will ability to pay, repay rules. Um, part of this, um, this new r- law, uh, so to speak, and um and it, what it does is limits the borrower's ability to borrow over a certain amount of their debt, so that forty three percent basically represents all of your debt on a monthly basis, okay, so if you make ten thousand dollars a month, you can spend forty three hundred a month on all of your debt:
2: It's interesting to note that when I was growing up, and I kind of hold these standards still to be fairly true, that you shouldn't spend more than twenty eight to forty percent of your income on your housing right because taxes are going to take 15 to 20% of your income. S- income tax is going to take another 10%, so security tax is going to take 3 plus percent or 4- 5%. <clears throat> it all adds up. And then you're left with how much can you really afford? It's somewhere between 28 and 40%. 40% you're stretching yourself, 28% you probably have a little bit more wiggle room in case you get in trouble and lose a job. I like rules like this because people can start saying, "Okay, there's my budget." If my budget is $100,000 a year, I can only afford 28 to 40,000. If that's what's coming in, that's what can go out towards housing. Right. That's the basic idea. Another one that I like, and you can tell me if this is true or not, is two and a half times your income is what you could afford in a house. So if you make $100,000 a year, you could afford $250,000. It's the basic rule. Again, it doesn't take into cases, low interest rates and some other scenarios, but I like it. Um, It shows people what you should be in. Even though we all want a million dollar house, we don't all make $400,000 a year.
3: Right. So, and that's that 43% is the what they call the back-end ratio or all of your debt. And they do set limits on your front-end ratio, which is just the new housing debt. And, of course, they don't factor in things like, they use gross income on W-2. So they don't factor in taxes and expenses of owning the house, maintenance and so forth. So, and the lenders are, are, are honoring this for the most part. There are ways you can go over the forty-three percent if you have a strong credit package, like better credit score, a lot more equity. Oh, I have a strong a credit lot, package. Uh, you know, uh, good income, solid job, and the type of property. So you put the credit package together and you go higher. So lenders are able to go over it currently, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it's it's all about you know looking at the future of why you want to own this house and you know, are you getting the good tax breaks? Is it working as far as you you know? Uh, Are you going to have a kid? Do you have college to pay for and so on? Another
2: rule that I kind of like, and you can tell me this, you get a good rate at 20% down, you get an okay rate at 10%, okay rate at 10%, good rate at 20%, great rate at 25%, really great rate at 30%. Is there some truth to that statement that
3: the more you put down, the better rate you get? Absolutely. And, again, it's part of your whole credit package and equity and credit scores. My credit package is good. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Finish your thought. Uh, it's all about your credit package, and equity is one of the, the, the better scenarios or the better factors that helps you get the lower rate and, and, and uh, better pricing for that rate. Uh, not only that, better equity also helps you qualify for certain types of loans and certain types of properties. Uh, if it's an investment property, you want to put 25% down as opposed to 20%. Uh, you get a huge t- uh, uh, benefit in rate, but it's 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 your whole package, and, and it also helps you avoid mortgage insurance, and it's not – you can get a great rate with FHA. As a matter of fact, better than you can get under 25% down conventional, but you have mortgage insurance. So it's a way of avoiding mortgage insurance as well and getting a good rate of return on the money you're putting into your house and making it work for you to the best of the ability.
2: I was reading a home equity line, a credit document. Did you know that banks typically put in language that they can cancel at any point in time? Absolutely. That has to be like shocking for some people because they don't expect that. They think I get a home equity line of credit. It's mine. I can do with it what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want. And you get a letter from the bank.
3: There's no doubt that a lot of people back before 2007, 2008, did not read their note, yeah. their adjustable arm note, and they don't even know how they work. So it's important that you do understand those the terminology. Tony Mendez
2: does show here on KDOW. Every Thursday evening from 6 to 7 p.m., listen to it. You'll learn a lot about one of the most important financial decisions you'll make in your life. You can find Tony Mendez at bayarealonesource.com. That's bayarealonesource.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, Linden Club's IPO is is a company, Linden Club, and we're going to learn a lot about some of the risks and rewards. If Linden Club overreaches its IPO, and it fares poorly, the market for other transactions in the industry could falter. If it fares well, it could unleash a wave of deals to follow. You know, in funding round last year, Lending Club was right at more than double where Facebook trades based on price to last year's sales. The San Francisco-based company was a pioneer in peer-to-peer lending. Its primary products are unsecured three- and five-year consumer loans for up to $35,000. Potential borrowers come, with the company's, come to the company's site, They fill out some basic information. They say what they want the money for. If approved, approved Lending Club will assign them interest rate investors can then choose which borrowers they want to fund. There's been a lot of growth in this area. Uh, Without any direct comparisons, though, it's tough to say what they're worth. You would probably want to value them similarly to, like, a LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter, you know, to compare multiples with Lending Club because of the similar growth rates. The bankers are going to try and push Lending Club to compare themselves to the companies that make it look a little bit more attractive. So a company like Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs is going to bring public a company like Lending Club. And what's fascinating about that is that's their competition. There's a lot of competition in Silicon Valley that has nothing to do with tech companies. But it's tech companies that are doing things that old companies like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley have done. Now, this company is not a bank, Lending Club earns money by taking a small fee every time it helps originate a loan. It also earns revenue from servicing of loans. Um, There's another company on deck, you know, funding new loans, uh, with debt facilities as well as securitized loans or selling loans that it already extends. So it's like buying a bank without a bank. Um, We'll see how it does. I'm pretty skeptical. Um, I don't like the the unregulated nature of the of the scenario, so and I see sometimes people thinking they're getting a great deal only to get a bit of a nightmare headache. Big snowstorm hitting the east coast hmm, right on time for the holidays. <laughs> a coastal storm may spread as much as ten inches of snow from northern New Jersey all the way through Massachusetts. It's going to spare New York City any deep accumulations for the Thanksgiving holiday weekend though. It's being posted for the 26th or the 27th, so a lot of people are going to have problems traveling, worthy of note. It's also going to miss Buffalo, which you almost feel bad for Buffalo. Like, if you know anyone in Buffalo, they're like calling you right now and emailing you and saying, we're okay, we're okay, it's just seven feet of snow, we're okay. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about Uh, money, investing, and more. Um, Thanksgiving, obviously a a pretty stressful time for a lot of people, uh, which is a little bit unfortunate. Uh, It should be a good time for people, a relaxing time. I plan to get some downtime. Hopefully, you will as well. You're listening to AM 1220, KDOW Business Radio. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Last winter, we had a lot of cold, and it affected spending. It affected economy, as large as the United States. Today, that played into some weaker economic data, which created an opportunity, in my opinion, to get in on the market. This has been a good year, not a great year. Very good. Not great. Last year was a great year. We won't go up every year. Um, it's worthy of note. And I like to use weakness as buying opportunities because I think we'll go up, shoot, if I'm retiring in 20 years, maybe 14 out of the next 20 years, if we stay with a historical precedent. Some would say, but look at how low interest rates are, and we're not at, his, you know, normal precedents. Key core in Financial and PNC Financial today gain in advance of... Um just financial companies doing well. End of the year tends to be positive, especially when we've had average years. The Santa Claus rally seems to show up 18 out of 20 years when we're in that average range of returns. Best Buy today jumped uh, before the start of the holiday shopping season. Today actually is the best day to do your holiday shopping. This is the day where you get massive deals. Verizon tumbled 2.2% after Citigroup lowered its rating on the stock, they as well as AT&T are part of a bidding on a spectrum from the FCC right now that's going to go for a lot of money. A lot of people are worried, and rightfully so, uh, that this is going to create, you know, a scenario where they have to borrow money in order to service, you know, this new spectrum that they're buying. It's really good for data. And as they borrow money to service the spectrum that they win, they're eventually going to send prices higher on you and me for our phone bills, is my assumption. So last week, Mario Draghi, you know, tried to address inflation in Europe. We're seeing the Chinese central banks, you know, lowering lending rates. So there's some stimulus out there, uh, monetarily speaking. Equity valuations are pretty high. They're the highest since the end of 2009. So end of 2009, there was this, you know, scenario where the S&P 500 traded at 17.2 times projected earnings, up from a multiple of 15.5. So the stock market is really moving quite far without, it needs more earnings and more job growth in order to continue this kind of movement. The SP 500 is closed above its five-day moving average for 26 consecutive trading sessions. So we're overbought. I would personally like to see more of a pullback, uh, just to get some of the weaker hands out of the market. The National Retail Federation predicts retail sales will rise 4.1% this season, more than the 2.9% average over the past 10 years. And that's why Best Buy is doing well today. Each calls in the air. It's 800 1220 It's 800 1220 Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, one, I think, note, I'll be in today, tomorrow, Wednesday, um, and I'll try to put together real good shows tomorrow and Wednesday for you, because I know you're starting to think elsewhere, so I'll try to woo you in. Anything you want me to talk about, drop me an email email rob, at com. There's not a lot of economic data out there today. It's a holiday shortened week. It's going to feature a rash of data in the next two days, including the second estimate for third quarter GDP, which doesn't really mean much because it happened, you know, April, May, June. It's past performance, but we'll get durable good orders for the month of October, which will be nice. The focal point this week is going to be on Thursday's OPEC meeting. While we're preparing our meals and getting fat, I don't do just a turkey, I do a turkey and a ham, because it is a day of feasting. A lot of people will be preparing Black Friday strategies. Reasonable arguments on either side of the OPEC production debate. So look for some volatility, and if they don't cut production, look for oil to trend to $60 a barrel. And then that's when we start getting serious about taking a look at the sector sooner rather than later. Keep in mind that this is a discounting mechanism, Wall Street. So it looks six months in the future, and I think about 12 months into the future, from what I'm reading economic reports-wise, that we're going to struggle for the next six to nine months, but we should worldwide start to work out of it as monetary policy, cheap monetary policy, kicks in in other regions outside the United States. Um, The stock market's still winning its share of converts to the faith of what's working now, Be very cautious chasing performance. That's the only negative I'll throw out at you. The S and P 500 higher today. The Dow higher today. The Nasdaq higher today. Again, not by a lot. Um, Nasdaq's actually doing really well. Um, This is also coming up um, on tax loss selling season, so some people will sell some losers in order to get a write-off. Um, I think that's a pretty smart thing to do, is to manage your portfolio in a tax efficient manner. Uh, So if you have the opportunity, consider it. Will Apple get to a trillion dollar valuation? That's probably a question for next year. So if we get Dow 20,000, NASDAQ 5,000, Apple's got a 674 billion dollar market cap. Um, Some people want them to get that high. Anyhow, we'll talk about that and more. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money investing. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com.